Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Galatians chapter number 5, and going to springboard from the same place that we have sprung from for the past several weeks, uh, Galatians 5 verse 22, I want to welcome our guests, thank them for being here with us, amen, this morning, and also others that have been out or unable to be to the house of the Lord. Verse number 22, the Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness temperance against such there is no law they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts we live in the spirit let us also walk in the spirit the scripture says this morning our concentration is upon that one aspect of the fruit of the spirit called goodness in verse number 22 today we're going to consider it for the next few moments and have the Lord help us if you'll help me pray today father I come to you this morning lighten our minds and our hearts God, as we look again at your word this morning, I know, Jesus, that you're able to help us in the next little while, that you're able, Lord, to, God, give us, Lord, a spirit of revelation in this place and help us, Lord, to understand, God, about what you're saying or speaking, Father, through your word. I pray, oh, Lord, that you're able to help us this morning, that we would, Lord Jesus, allow that fruit of the spirit to be, Lord, evidenced in our own lives. God, we'll be grateful, Lord Jesus, for what you accomplish in our lives by your spirit the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray the church say amen amen you may be seated this morning maybe seated in Jesus name it's been a couple of weeks since we've been uh, here in our series Bishop uh, preached to us last week but it's been a few weeks but the time that we had met before concerning our series we talked about the fruit of the spirit of gentleness and this morning we're talking about goodness there has been many that maybe flip-flop these two back and forth gentleness and goodness and uh, because they have oftentimes been called twin virtues to a certain degree because they are so similar, yet the Apostle Paul would not have used two different Greek words for gentleness and then a different one for goodness if there was some, some type of difference that, that wasn't present. So there is some type of difference uh, between them. The word that is used for goodness in Galatians is a very rare word. It's only used four times in the entirety of the scripture, only four times in the New Testament scripture, combines the idea of not just being good, but also doing good. And so therein lies the idea that it's very close-knit to goodness because that seemed to be very similar, almost identical to what gentleness was, not just being good, but doing good. And so it's a goodness that originates they say in our hearts but it's actually manifested in our actions and so since that's so close to gentleness not just a attitude but also an action as gentleness was many people count them as one and the same some people even when they do studies on fruits of the spirit they don't talk about both of those they just talk about one of those because they believe that they are in essence the same but there is some difference between the two And I think maybe perhaps some of the uh, confusion, some of the problem arises from the cheapening of our natural word in the English language, the word good, 
the root word, if you will, of goodness, good, that we have in our English language. Because everything in life is good, right? I mean, that's the way it is. Everything's good. That's uh, the way that we term things. Uh, we label everything as good. And so as it happens, whenever you, a word is overused, uh, many times its uniqueness and its meaning gets lost in the usage if you just all the time use it. And so that's the way good is for us because everything's good. You know, that was a good game people talk about. They talk about they had a good time. Uh, the meals over at that restaurant, boy, I tell you what, they're really good. You know, someone spouts out a sarcastic remark and we like it and we're like, that was good. Right? I mean, everything's good. And, and so whenever you start using or overusing the word good, the meaning really of what it really means can get lost to a certain sense. And so, and as it is with the English language, over time, definitions and words, uh, their meanings evolve over time. They may have meant something uh, a century ago, but throughout the years, uh, it encompasses other meanings into uh, their spectrum of meaning and they get broader and there's not just one definition but two and three and four and they can mean a variety of things but the 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 old the old word good back in history the old anglo-saxon word for good was the same as the word for god the old anglo-saxon word for good was the same word that was for god and that's an interesting connection that was made years ago that, that, that the true definition of good or the true definition of goodness was encapsulated in God. Because as we used to say, common little phrase around here, God is good all the time then was the, the counterpart to that. God is good all the time. God is good. As a matter of fact, the Greek word for goodness used in Galatians 5.22 can literally mean to be God-like. To be God-like. And so then God is good. And when we begin to think about throughout the Old Testament where there are instances and there's a lot spoken of in the Old Testament about the goodness of God, we come to find out that there is one particular place. This is, this is whenever Moses' father-in-law by the name of Jethro, who by the way was a Midianite priest, he came to Moses and he spoke to them. And, and folks, you know that God is good when a Midianite heathen priest is attesting to the goodness of God he comes to his, his son-in-law Moses and he says for all the goodness which the Lord hath done to Israel whom he hath delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians a Midianite priest said that about the one true God as a matter of fact he said I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because of this goodness that he has done so you know your God is good when, when others that serve false gods, idols of wood and stone are saying, that's a good God. His goodness exceeds any other God. And so whenever God's goodness isn't just being seen by those who serve him or befriend him, but it's even seen by those who are in most cases at odds with him, you know that you have a good God. A good God. As a matter of fact, Scripture overflows in the Old Testament with references to the goodness of God. The psalmist David said in the Psalms a few different phrases. He, he just bellowed out at different times. He said, oh, how great is, speaking of God, thy goodness. At another place in the Psalms, he said, the goodness of God endureth continually. In another place of the Psalms, he said, the Lord is good to all. 
speaking about the goodness of God. In other words, David's saying God's goodness isn't something that's hidden. God's goodness isn't something that's, that, that's hard to come by. Amen. But God's goodness is right there out in front. It's continuously good. He's good to all. And it is great. And the wonderful thing is this. That God's goodness just wasn't an Old Testament thing. God's goodness was a New Testament thing. Through the life of the man Christ Jesus. Since we understand that the Bible tells us that the great God of heaven was in Christ. We're not surprised then to see this same type of goodness of God in the Old Testament expressed in the life of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Amen. The Bible says that during Jesus' earthly ministry, the Bible simply says that Jesus went about doing good. It's one of the characterizations. That's one of the things that they labeled him by. He just goes around doing good. The Bible says in Matthew 19 and verse 16, these words. This is a story here of a young man coming to Jesus Christ. It says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. In other words, this young man had come to the Lord and he called him good master. And Jesus' request or response to him wasn't so much refuting the fact that he wasn't good, but giving him a further revelation of the statement. He says, why do you call me good? There's none good but one. And that is God. Or a, a more literal translation there is none good but one that is God, or he that is good is one. He that is good is one. So in this, Jesus wasn't refuting a man being called good, but he was just telling this man that if you recognize goodness, there's only one that is good, and that's God. Therefore, if there's only one that's good, and that's God, but you're calling me good, then there's the revelation that God is in me, or I am, God. Amen. So there was a divine nature of Jesus that included all this goodness of God even in his life. And so what we discover in this, folks, is this, is what we've already discovered through many of the different traits of the fruit of the Spirit, and that is this. One may be good. I'm not saying you can't be good without God, but you cannot have the goodness of God without God. So that's what we've said with everything. You can have joy, you can have peace, you have love, you can do all of that stuff maybe by human nature, but not to the degree that God's Spirit can do it through you. Right. Amen. So the goodness of God can only come from God, the Spirit of God, namely the Spirit, hopefully, that you've received to allow the fruit of the Spirit work in your life. So true goodness, everybody say goodness, goodness. only comes from God. It's not to any extent a human ability. That is the goodness of God. It's no human ability. That's why the Bible says in Romans 7, and verse 18, for I know, Paul says, he says, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, he said, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Paul says, that is within my flesh, within this humanity, there is no good thing. So there's really, there's really not much credence in a compliment when we give it to other people and we say, well, they are a good person. Well, 
in their flesh as humanity, there is no good thing in another person. Amen. That, that goodness that a person can have can only be a human degree of goodness, which the Scripture calls no good thing. But if you get the goodness of God, it'll be because you had the Spirit of God work inside of you. Could someone say amen? amen. Yes. Now, to understand this a little bit, to, to differentiate between gentleness and goodness, to go just a step further beyond just the definition of a good attitude or a good action that both gentleness and goodness have as a part of them, we got to consider some verses in the Scripture where this word appeared only four times in the New Testament Scripture. And as we look at these four places in the New Testament Scripture, one of them already being Galatians 5.22 that I read, you, read to you today, we're going to understand some different shades of meaning, amen, for the word goodness and how it is different than the fruit of the Spirit of gentleness. We'll read in Romans 15 and verse number 14. Uh, what we're going to receive from this, we're going to understand how there's different shades of meaning, but more importantly, where this goodness should ultimately function in our life. Romans 15, 14, the apostle Paul speaking to the church at Rome says, and I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness. Identical Greek word that's used in Galatians. Ye are also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Paul is addressing the church here at Rome and he addresses them as Gentiles and he tells them that the same gift that they had, that they had extended to the Jews, the Holy Ghost, the same gift that's been extended to the Jews had also been extended to the Gentiles. What a great blessing that was for the Gentiles. And the prophets of old had spoke how this wouldn't just be for the Jew, but it would also be for the Gentile. And he tells them that the God of all hope has filled them with the power. Look at it. You'll notice, I think, in the verse before that, in verse number 13, that the God of all hope has filled them with the power of the Holy Ghost. And so what starts to develop after you receive the power of the Holy Ghost, if you nurture it, the fruit of that Spirit that you receive. So he says, you're Gentiles, church at Rome, but you've received the Holy Ghost, and now there's going to be something to start developing in your life because you received the Spirit. You're going to start developing the fruit of the Spirit. And as a result of this, Paul says, I'm persuaded that even the Gentiles, by which the Holy Ghost has come inside of, they're full of goodness and filled with knowledge. And these things, goodness and knowledge, enable them to admonish one another. And so with this, we grab a certain aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, goodness. And that aspect is this. Goodness is an admonishing, reproving, cautioning, warning aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. Now listen to me. Here's, let me explain this. And this is why I say this. For us, if something is perceived or isn't perceived as positive, it's not perceived as good. Right? I mean, just by, you know, level playing human thinking, if it's not positive, it's not good. But folks, there are many, many negative things, things that can be perceived as negative that in actuality are for our good. You hear what I'm saying? Case in point that we've used a thousand times, Joseph, whenever he finally expresses himself and, and reveals himself to his brothers and they're a little bit upset, he understood what had happened in his life. 
He looks at he looks at the selling to slavery and he looks at the pit and he looks at the prison and he looks at all these things that have happened to him and he tells his brothers, now look, as just a human, Josephus said, bad, 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 negative, it's not good. But that's not what Joseph said. He's seen all this that on the outward just looked like negative, on the outward just looked like bad. And he told his brothers, he said, God has meant this for my good. So goodness isn't always about receiving something positive. Goodness is about receiving positive or negative as long as it's working toward your good. And so you can't just, everything that comes down the pike that might be negative is really maybe for your goodness. You're good. And so this is the aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. Sometimes it's a reprover. It's a cautioner. It is an admonisher. But it's doing it for the aspect of goodness. He told his brother, and Joe said, everything that you saw happened to me. He said, I know you're looking through a negative lens. He said, but this was really the goodness of God. It was for my good. And so there's an aspect of goodness we think. We think, well, the fruit of the Spirit, goodness, it's going to do great and wonderful things. Yeah, it will sometimes, but other times it'll come with a rod of correction. But that's still working goodness in the life of who it's exercised in. And with that being said, uh, just a, another case in point of the Old Testament where goodness, where it appears something bad or negative, but it's really for the good. Second Chronicles 35 and verse 26, the Bible, the Chronicle was writing about one of the kings of Israel. And the Bible says, Now the rest of the acts of Josiah, that was the man who had been king, the rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness, look at this, according to that which was written in the law of the Lord and his deeds, first and last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. The rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness. Now, Josiah was a very young king. He started being king when he was eight years old. How'd you like to take your eight-year-old and put them over some governing body? <laughs> That'd be great. That makes me nervous. But nevertheless, he was a young king when he began to reign. But the Bible says in the 12th year of his reign as king, I wouldn't like to put some teenagers as king for that matter, or 20-year-olds. Nevertheless, um, whenever he was in the 12th year of his reign, and he was around 20 years old, the Bible says he began to purge Judah, and he began to purge Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, a number of years of Josiah's reign was nothing more but ruling and purging and tearing down and throwing out and making stuff in alignment. Now from just someone from a distance, he's, he's just messing everything up. He's doing a lot of upheaval over here, tearing down over here, reconstructing over here, straightening that out, doing this. There's a lot of purging going on. That doesn't sound very good, but the Bible says the rest of the acts of Josiah and his, it called all of that purging, all of that making straight, all of that correcting, it called all of that his goodness. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that whenever Josiah, they found the book of the law had been lost, that whenever it was read to him, he was upset. He tore his garments because they had not been living according to the law of the, law, the Lord. And you know what he starts to do? Make sure everybody starts living according to the law of the Lord. I guarantee you those people who had not been, that started to rub them a little bit wrong because they got used to living life a certain way. But what seemed to be bad to them was goodness because it was getting them back in alignment with the perfect will, amen, of the Spirit and of the law of God. And so he made all these adjustments so much so that the recorder in later life says all of the acts of Josiah and his goodness is according to the written law. Someone say amen. 
So he's setting things right. He's setting things right, and that's goodness. The Bible says in Hosea chapter 3 and verse 5, again, something else concerning the goodness of the Lord. It's not just through a positive aspect. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear, note that word now, shall fear the Lord and his goodness. Shall fear the Lord and his goodness. Now why in the world would you fear goodness? Because again, goodness isn't always through a positive venue. Sometimes it's through what you may perceive to be a negative venue, but its total outcome, it's good for you. Amen. See, goodness insists on that which is good even if rebuke and discipline are necessary. Amen. Even if rebuke and, and, and discipline are necessary. Goodness will not do good always by methods that are gentle. That's the reason why we need all the fruits of the Spirit. All the fruit of the Spirit. We need gentleness and goodness because where goodness might come up and start tearing up <laughs> tearing up the city, getting things back in order, if you have a spirit of gentleness as well, it'll get the job done without injuring anybody. That's the reason why goodness and gentleness are twin virtues. They give one another balance in what they accomplish. Amen. Because gentleness will temper the way that goodness acts. Mm -hmm. There is old saying, uh, I think I learned this when I was in Florida with Brother Boyd. He says, you know what? He said, you can show someone the tip of the sword without drawing them through with it. That was a common saying. Now, Brother Boyd, you can show somebody the tip of the sword without, without, without putting them through. What's he saying? Well, you don't have to prove it sharp by putting it through them. You can just show them the tip of the sword. And I think that's a good illustration of having gentleness and goodness. Without gentleness, goodness might just plunge you through. But with gentleness, it's showing you the tip of the sword and you have the same understanding as if you were to put through with it. This thing's sharp. Amen. And so there is a constant, there's a constant little balancing of one and the other. So gentleness without goodness, here's the thing though. If you got, if you got the aspect of the fruit of the spirit of gentleness, but you don't have goodness, sometimes that can prove something very wimpy and accommodating to sin. Mm -hmm. But if you have goodness and you don't have any gentleness taking place then in the life, then that can sometimes come across pretty harsh, pretty forceful. And so a balance of the two, though, brings in, amen, the goodness that you need, but executed by the gentleness you must have. I think the psalmist David captivated it very well in Psalms 23. He understood these fruits of the Spirit even before they were written of in Galatians 5 because there is a phrase... In Psalms 23, in one of the verses that says, David says, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The rod was typically used for correction, admonishing, cautioning, reproving. Similar, might I say, to goodness. But the staff, on the other hand, was typical for bringing the sheep to safety. It was a tool, if you will, of help kindness similar to gentleness David said these two not, not, not individually but together the rod and the staff gentleness and goodness he says they comfort me because David understood there are sometimes I need a goodness that's a little strong I need a little admonishing and I need something that's a little strong but thank God that he can execute it with a little level of gentleness that I still get the point without being drawn through with it Someone say amen. amen. 
See, Jesus showed his goodness when he went to the temple and there's money changers there and they're selling sacrifices, turtle doves and, and all of this and he goes in there with his whip and he's turning over money, money tables and with his whip driving out. That was God, that's God, yeah, that was God's goodness. He was reproving for what was taking place in the house of the Lord. But he showed his gentleness when he forgave a woman that had been caught in the very act of adultery and said, neither do I condemn thee, but go and sin no more. Showing a sense of gentleness. We understand that he showed his goodness in his trial, the Bible tells us. Whenever he, he challenged one of the officials who had struck him on the face, if I can just read it in your hearing this morning, it won't be up there, but in John chapter number 18 and verse 23, because this might be something that we just don't necessarily look at all the time. John 18 and verse 23, the Bible says, And when he had thus spoken... One of the officers which stood by, that's when Jesus spoke, one of the officers that stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? And Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of evil, but if I have, if, if I have well, why smitest thou me? Because Jesus basically had told them some things, but he was showing some goodness whenever he had spoke the words that he had spoke to the high priest. He was trying to do some reproving and some admonishing to the high priest. Yet earlier in the garden, before any of this had ever taken place, he showed his gentleness whenever one of his disciples cut off the ear. Uh-huh of the soldiers and he picked it up off the ground and attached it back to the man's head he was showing gentleness unto the man and I think one of the great old time writers William Barclay said it best he said the Christian the Christian needs that goodness which at one and the same time can be kind and strong or gentle and strong we need that type of goodness and so there is another place in the scripture so, so, so from Romans, Romans 15, we gather this admonishing aspect of goodness, this, this admonishing one another. But in Ephesians, we see that this backs it up again concerning goodness, the same word goodness that's found in our text in Galatians 5. Ephesians 5 and verse 8, the Bible states these words this morning. It says, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light. In the Lord, walk as children of light. Yes. Little parenthesis, parenthetical phrase here in verse 9. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, yes. and righteousness, yes. and truth. Verse 10 now, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Yes. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Now verse 9 is in parentheses in our English Bibles. Uh, in our English language, if there are parentheses, it means whatever's in parentheses is kind of supplementary or it may give some type of clarification to what's being said in our English language. So we could, if we wanted to, very easily read verses 8, skip 9, go 10, 11, and it would still make total sense. I mean, we could read for, you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. And we'd lose, really, it would seem like there would still be, clear, there'd still be meaning there. It's not as though we had to have verse 9 in order for that to make sense, what is being said. But what do I do understand from verse number 9 is this, is that it brings a little clarification. It brings a little understanding and supplementary information, clarification to what is being said. Because what I understand the Scripture says without it, first of all, 
is that I once was in darkness, but now I'm in light. I once served all of those things that were contrary to the Lord. Now I serve those things that are right with the Lord. And so he tells me to walk as a child of the light. If I could this morning, as we've seen in Galatians 5 over and over again, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. How? Verse 10 answers that question for me. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. How? By having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness or of my former life. All right? But rather, here's the interesting word again, reprove. That's very similar to admonish. But reprove them. But verse 9 if you put verse 9 back up there, verse 9 gives me a little further clarification on how we do this. And we do this because after we become children of the light and we receive the Spirit of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit starts to be manifest in our life. He says, for the fruit of the Spirit in all goodness. It, it, it states explicitly one of the fruits of the Spirit and the one that it states is goodness. And no doubt righteousness and no doubt truth could be threads of other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, but it plainly mentions goodness. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness. Everybody say goodness. goodness. <laughs> it's almost that it is saying to you, you and I, or it could be said that goodness is the ultimate sum and substance of all the other fruits of the, of the fruit of the Spirit because it says for, in, for the fruit of the Spirit is in is in all goodness. The apostle was telling then those at Ephesus, the church there, he says, your chief joy, this is really what he's trying to get to, your chief method of defense, your chief method of strength against unfruitful works of darkness, your past life, your, your chief tool, those concerted efforts of the fruit of the Spirit found in your life, your chief tool is the fruits of the Spirit and namely goodness why because goodness has that aspect to it that it cautions it reproves it proves it checks out if you will it, it, it takes it takes things to the chopping block goodness does he says and if goodness that fruit of the spirit is in your life it's going to help you to prove what's acceptable to God if they view that goodness is being performed in your life, it's going to keep you from the unfruitful works of darkness that you once knew, and you're going to be able to reprove them because of goodness. It's accomplished by goodness. And so I'm convinced this morning from Romans 15 and Ephesians, and then Galatians, that's three of the four in which this word goodness is used, that, 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 that the, the reproving and the proving, the admonishing work of goodness is there. They're all one and the same. And many times it's written in Scripture as though we are admonishing another or reproving another. But in essence, folks, it first should start with where? Us. Come on, say amen. amen. Us. And so the nature of goodness is to admonish. The nature of goodness is to reprove and reprove. But goodness then, goodness then must start with us. So if there's any reproving or admonishing go on, be sure that goodness is at the controls. If there's any reproving or proving going on, goodness is at the controls. Because again, we don't always consider reproving good. But the end result many times is for our good. My children never thought it was ever good whenever I chastised them or said don't do that. 
They feel like I'm the enemy. I'm being mean. Those words, you're being unfair, come out their mouth. But Brother Terry, you and I both know goodness is being executed in that moment. Right? Goodness is being executed in that moment. But many times, us as per se children of God act the very same. You're being unfair, God. You know? What is it? Is it my week to be picked on? Right? When reality, it is God's goodness that is coming upon our lives. The end result is goodness. And so the thought process makes sense. I can only prove what is acceptable or not acceptable in another individual's life if there's genuine goodness operating in my own life. Right? Right? Because I can't admonish another if goodness is not being operated in my life. Because to do so, make me a hypocrite. So again, all of the fruit of the Spirit are to be exercised externally to benefit one another. Absolutely. But not without them first and foremost doing what they need to do inside the person in which they reside. Amen? And so since that is the case, having goodness may give credibility to help admonish another brother or sister that's in the Lord, maybe that's in error, but that would only be because we've allowed it to prove and reprove ourselves, our own hearts, our own thoughts, our own heads. And so the chief function then of goodness is to happen in the person before it happens anywhere else. Someone say amen. And so then the last verse in the New Testament scripture that uses the same Greek word goodness underscores that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 11. So the last occurrence of it, it says, Wherefore also we pray, always for you, that our God would count you worthy of of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, verse 12, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here it is, the Apostle Paul, the church at Thessalonica, the Thessalonians, one of the things that Paul desired for the Thessalonians above all other was that all the good pleasure of God's goodness would be fulfilled in them. Amen? No, this is, this is kind of the capstone for goodness this morning. Paul said, my desire is for all of the good pleasure of God's goodness to be fulfilled in you. He did not, no, he did not say, I am hoping that all of the, all of the good pleasure of God's goodness will be fulfilled in other people because you've been reproving and admonishing them. No. He said, I I desire for it would be fulfilled in you first. Not so much that you're admonishing someone else or reproving someone else, 
that they'll surrender to it, but that you yourself have surrendered to the admonishing of the spirit that's in you, to the reproving of the spirit that's in you that will keep you from those manifested works of darkness that you had formerly had known. So when we consider goodness, yes, it's different from gentleness. Absolutely, it's about it's about an attitude of good and an action of good. That was gentleness, and that's goodness too. But there's a little another shade over here of goodness, because that attitude of good and that action of good may not be perceived as good. It may come with a strong hand or a strong arm, but the end result is working the goodness of God, the goodness of God in your life. And yeah, folks, it's great. You know, it's wonderful to allow that to, to come to total fruition in your life. And, and maybe it's in a husband-wife relationship or otherwise you have close friends and, you know, you just tap them a little bit and say, you know what, I've been noticing here lately and they're able to receive that because you're exercising goodness. But you're only able to do that because of the goodness of God that you've allowed to work in your own life. And here's one thing that I, I guarantee, and you can stand with me this morning as I close. Here's one thing that I guarantee you. That God exercises his goodness in us. And whenever he does that, he's bathing it heavily with some gentleness. God, you've heard me say, is a gentle, a gentleman. He is a gentleman. And if he's exercising his goodness in this, he's doing it heavenly with a great portion of gentleness upon our lives as well. How in the world do you know that, Brother McGee? I'll tell you how. Because otherwise we wouldn't be able to endure his goodness if it wasn't for his gentleness. We would be incapable of receiving his goodness. The one who is only good if it were not for his gentleness. And that's the reason why on this side, on this side of the end of the world, we need to take advantage of that. Because on the other side of the end of the world, goodness will be executed without any gentleness. Oh, that's... What a horrible God. He's been acting with gentleness since the beginning of time. Has endured a lot with his people for eternity backwards, if there's such a thing. But at that moment in time, you'll then take away his hand of gentleness and all there will be is goodness. Well, what's wrong with that? Because it will be strong. It will be powerful. He is going to replenish the earth. He is going to purge this place. Amen. That purging will actually be an act of good. So, Pastor, what about this fruit of the spirit of goodness for me today? I'll tell you what it is. Allow that spirit to reprove things in your own life. Allow that part of the fruit of the spirit to admonish you concerning things in your life. Caution you. Give you direction. Amen. So that you can walk, live, the song says, the way that he wants me. The way that he wants me to live. Oh, I just, God will be gentle with you. God will be gentle with you. Baby steps. He'll take you baby steps. That each step that even sometimes seem hurtful to your flesh is going to be empowering that spirit. It's going to be helping you along the road and along the journey. Can we bow our heads in this place this morning? Father, I come to you today. These altars are open for anybody to say, you know what, I have made that change from darkness to light. I have the spirit of the Lord. Thank you for listening. 
If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.